You stupid bitch. Yeah, you're a stupid bitch. You stupid bitch. Bitch. Yeah. Welcome to this week's episode of Stupid Bitches Say What, the Aussie podcast about everything and nothing, but always with wine or beer, and your hosts, Sean Hipkins and Sky Lee Collett. This week, it's True Crime USA. Hold on to your headsets as I discuss the terrifying night endured by Jennifer Holliday in East Texas, who courageously outwits her captor who murdered her cousin, Anna Franklin who he shot to death in front of her. While Skye shares the story of young mum, Denise Amber Lee, abducted from her home whilst caring for her babies and the shocking aftermath, including the mishandled 911 calls. Ooh. Do you have some of the dialect of the 911? I decided not to put it in because it was a little bit lengthy, so I summarised it. Oh, that's okay. I've got some 911 calls in mind too. Oh. Look at us. <laughs> Anywho... What you drinking, Scar? Uh, well, uh, this evening I'm just on the twoies. Twoies, oh, twoies for dry. the first episode just because I have to get up at 5am in the morning. Um, therefore, can't be too wasted. Hashtag um, ratchet. <laughs> I believe our last double was a bit of a train wreck by the end of it. I don't we've, think it was too bad. Our debauchery. We've done a lot worse. Oh, there's been a lot worse. <laughs> a lot worse. Yes, I agree. Oh, oh, what are good. you drinking, you stupid bitch? Well, I have got, I thought I'd start with the rosé. Summer, all day rosé. And so I picked out this one that Hold I knew. Up. It's not summer yet, it's spring, please. Although it fucking feels like summer. Hot. Um, and I picked one because Vinny likes the rosé. So I picked one that was a bit too dark for his liking. It's a red rosé there, isn't it? And it's Jen Pfeiffer's Rocket Like a Redhead. The Diamond, Ruther Glen, Topeque. And on the back, it does say, my wines express the connection between my fiery and passionate personality and my commitment, to the, and my commitment to the craft. We know about that, don't we? My, my diamond range are my most prized and creative wines. They're the jewels of my collection. So I thought, oh, this sounds oh, nice. Wonderful. How good for her. So <laughs> you may recall the last disaster I had with that ice wine mm. that was a bit syrupy. This also looks a bit syrupy. It looks very syrupy. It smells a bit like port. It's getting you right in the eyeball, isn't it? It's fucking disgusting. <laughs> Don't try and give it to me as a gift. Smells like honey and apricots. I say it smells like a boot. It tastes like liquid gold. Enjoy now. I disagree, Jen Pfeiffer. Love your work in other areas, but your diamond range is shite. Stay away from the (laughs) rosés, please. Please hold up while I just get another (laughs) bottle of something I can actually drink. Please do. Hurry up. So let's try that again, shall we? Tonight I'm drinking short stories. Margaret River, SBS, Stupid Bitch Say. <laughs> it is a 2022 Sav Blank Semillion. Ugh, I hate a Semillion. Disgusting. You need to cleanse your palate. Oh, so much better. And that's tasty, folks. So that's going into the wine cooler bag on my desk to aid me throughout this recording. (laughs) How has one's week been? How has one's week been? Well, I've got a few little tidbits for you. Let me just bring my notes up. What's happening here? Okay. So I have to tell a story about something upsetting that has happened to me this week. I won't say again. But my phone has died oh dear so i don't want to share the story of how it happened because the person who did it um Mm. listens to this podcast i think from time to time okay Um, so it's not tyler then no and has no idea that they actually did 
break it. Oh. It was an accident. I didn't realize until after, but when I opened my phone to make a call to my dear husband, um, after the incident, I found that my screen was black and flashing with, there's no crack at all. There's nothing, there's no cracks in it. My, my screen's cracked, but that's and not the screen. The screensaver's cracked. Is this um, Nat? No, no, it's no one that you know. It's no one that you know. Anyway, so my phone got broke um, and I came home and I was like, it was actually last night I came home and I was like, oh my God, what the fuck am I going to do? I'm going away this weekend. I can't go away without a phone. I literally had the biggest, craziest day at work today and I knew it was going to be hectic. Um, but I was like in a complete flat because I was like, how can I survive without a phone? So to the point where I was like, I need a whole day off work <laughs> to go and go to Telstra and look through the shop and decide what I'm going to get because I need a new phone. And it just struck me how crazy it is and how reliant we are on our phones. Yeah, yeah, totally. That we literally cannot survive without them. Yeah. Um, so fortunately... I found this this little fellow. I don't know if you can see how cracked it is from there. This is my old phone that's a, about probably ah. six years old now. I found it in the drawer. That's um, handy. Like, Thank God. But this was the phone that I actually brought and smashed. Like, can you see how badly smashed it is? No, it actually oh. looks like a fine screen. It's really bad. Like really, like to the point where when you scroll, you get bits of glass <laughs> oh, in your finger. No. <laughs> and do you know that I smashed that on the very first day that I got it? that oh, phone. So it's I could believe it was smashed that's heartbreaking like though. Three years until I got my new one. So now that new one, so I, I dealt with it being smashed and scrolling and getting little bits of glass chips in my fingers, little glass <laughs> splinters, if you will. You need to get one of those little rubber thimbles or something. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Look, my current phone that got broken um it was about three years old anyway. And you know when it's starting to get filled up with all the shit and it's not yeah. running as well and it's got too many apps on it. And it, I'm due for a new one. I was just and you're trying an to Android user, out. aren't you? I'm an Android, yes, I don't like apples. Um, so I was trying to hold out as long as possible because we're not on a plan anymore. Um, we're just paying yeah. by the month, so it's heaps yeah. cheaper. And I was like, no, nah, I'm gonna hold on to it until it full dies. Well, it fucking died. <laughs> and now I'm on old glassy over here. <laughs> Where if I scroll too hard, I'm going to you start slash your finger. bleeding. Yes. So your phone's like, hello, my old friend. So it was quite distressing. And I was just, and it did, it really, um, you know, made me think like, oh my God, how distressing it is to think of your life without a phone. Yeah. We like went everything aw- that you do on it. Is through that. We went away for a weekend, about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, um, to a, a place that had, no service, no Wi-Fi, no internet at all. Um, and whilst it was quite refreshing, it is quite frustrating not being able to sort of just go on and have a look at something when you're bored. You know, totally. not, I didn't take any books with me. And do you know what the other funny thing is? It's not that I care so much about being able to be contacted. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> Which it's Which is actually snooping. what it's for. Like, I don't care if I <laughs> people can't text me or message me or call me. That doesn't bother me in the slightest. I can go without that. It's the fact that... We're going mindless house hunting as well. and I'll need to be able to use it to navigate to the places and look at the photos again online and research things about the area that I'm going to. It's purely like an information device for me. That's what I get the most out of you. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, don't care that no one can call me or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I need it because I need to navigate my life through it. I need to send memes to Bino. I know. <laughs> it's got all my passwords in it. It's got my banking information. You know, it's got like everything. And I've had to start from scratch because this one like didn't carry a lot of the, even my contacts are all gone. So all my work staff. Oh, you didn't um, back up or anything? No, I didn't. I think I can still do it. You know, you hold, I, I don't know if you can do this with apples, but uh, Samsung yeah, yeah, you can yeah. hold together and they'll yeah, transfer, transfer everything over. Yeah. Um, so you can I do can that with apples, you stupid bitch. Oh, okay. Well, you never used to be able to. <laughs> that was the Samsung thing that came out first, please. I'm pretty sure. Anyway. <laughs> Um, so yeah. And then I guess the other part of how's my week is that I'm getting up at 5am because I'm going down to the mid coast of New South Wales tomorrow. Um, hubby and I have got a little cabin on the beach for two nights, a long weekend in Brisbane and also New South Wales, I think. Um, we were very disappointed that the Broncos beat the Warriors last week and we don't want to be in Queensland um, when the Broncos are playing in the grand final. And the Brisbane Lions. 
I'm not it's really a like, Brisbane. Not, yeah, I know. I'm not opposed to the Brisbane Lions the way I am the Broncos, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we learned that in the last episode. <laughs> I know. Well, last Saturday we went to the shops because it was the semi-final, and everywhere we went at Capella Bar was people in Broncos jerseys, and it was just like, "Give me a gun." <laughs> That's what um, happens when you move to Brisbane, they stupid. I know. <laughs> I know. I know. They do love their football. So um very much looking forward to getting out of old Queensland at 5 a.m. tomorrow. <laughs> Bye, bitches. <laughs> you don't want to be here for the celebrations. No. It's quite I monumental, don't. really, that we're I both don't. both Brisbane teams are in both finals happening this weekend. Oh God, I totally expected you to say that. It'll be amazing if they both win. I hope that um, I'm going for that. Well, I'm not really going for Panthers because I also hate the Panthers. But if I have to pick, it'd be the Panthers over the Broncos. <laughs> so better. <laughs> I am indeed so better. So how's your week been, stupid bitch? Week's been great. Well, the week's been very hectic. But to report so on a me. couple of good stuff. Yeah, it's been horrible. But um, we got back from Bali last week oh, after yes, six yes. nights in Seminyak. And it was, shut up, Kitty. It was fucking amazing. It was your first Bali visit too, wasn't it? I went to Bali when I was 14. So oh, okay, okay. pretty much, yeah, a lot's changed since those um, few years ago. But it was just really nice having a holiday where we didn't have to um, commit to seeing anyone or doing anything. Like we didn't have any tours booked except yeah. for the booze bus tour. That <laughs> was the only tour we had booked. To not have to run around and visit people or like when you go to Europe for Australians, you need to get as much in as you can. It's such tight. a big trip and racing around here for three Going nights. So far, you have to make the most of everything. Exactly, yeah. So it was just lovely to just chill out and do nothing. Get up and have a swim in the villa pool. And, and how cool was that? The pool it was amazing. And just roll off the couch into the Straight pool. into it. I was it. like, oh, my God. I know. It's like the dream situation. Buying beer, bintangs from, and Smirnoff ices from the shop across the road for like $2 and $3 a pop. Oh my like, god! You know, not even amazing. going to a bottle shop and doing it, just a convenience store. So oh, that would have been Australia marked like up that. prices. Yeah, you know. So yeah, no, it was amazing. Um, then we had the booze bus, as I was saying, and that was awesome. It ended up only being the three of us on there. They did say to us, it was, and like it seats probably about ten. It's like a little truck, open aired, a roof on it. Bar in the middle with holes where you put your drinks. So we had a server. Bar so in the you, middle. Fuck yeah. Security guy was on the bus as well. Um, and they did say to us, you know, it's only you three if you want to move to the one later that day or whatever. And we're like, nah, it's fine, blah, blah, blah. Went on there, two hours. They did one lap around the town of Seminyak, basically. And then go back to the start point. We can go have a wee and then they do another lap around where the beaches are and stuff. So I had to get my money's worth. It was $60. Um for the two hours, I smashed 12 Smirnoff Ices in the two hours. <laughs> it was really well funny. Done. We had a crate each in the in the middle of the bar where we would put our empties. And at one stage, there was six from me, two from Vinny, one from Louise, the friend that we went with, <laughs> empty. I'm like, you fucking amateurs. Sky would be right there. fucking. And the Smirnoff Ices, they had a double apple, pink lemonade, red and lemon, as per usual. And the double apple ones, man, it was just literally going down like lolly water. It was so nice. And were they as strong as like the Australian version? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just your standard stubby of Smirnoff. Very good. Um, we also found this club called Legends in Seminyak that we went to twice. They had shows on from 7 o'clock on Saturdays and Mondays. And they'd do little cultural dances. And they'd have a, sing a guy up there singing who was very good. Um, and then they have drag queens coming on where Vinny got a a faux head job off Tina Turner. And then on that, the second yes. night, the second night we went, uh, Vinny was uh, quite annoyed about the attention the drag queens were getting. So he threw himself in the cage, hung upside down, <laughs> got quite he loose. Hung upside down? <laughs> By his feet, yeah. Put his feet over the edge of the cage and then leaned back. It was very good. It was a lot of fun. Um, what was I going to say about legend? Oh, and uh, did I send you the video of that stupid bitch pouring that? Who's had that? It was called a flaming waterfall. We found out afterwards. Yes, I think so. Uh, it was like a um a glass with a champagne glass. Uh, no, a martini glass upside down. Then another one on top of it. It was this pillar of fucking drinking glasses that they pour Sam Booker over and then light it. And then she used to drink it from the thing. And we said to her, "Oh, what's that?" And she's like, "Watch." 
Like, okay. So I got the phones out and started recording and she knocked the whole fucking thing over. Flames all over the table. Serviettes on fire, her phone on fire. And I, I was thought like, okay, it was bitch. a meme. Like I didn't realise that was real life. I think that when I saw right it, next I to thought us. it was something that you just found on the internet. I have no. to go and watch it again. That's <laughs> yeah. hilarious. Yeah, that was Deb. Deb from Adelaide, because I have your name on the chair when you reserve it. If you're listening, Deb, <laughs> thanks for the entertainment. <laughs> thanks, Deb. You're on the podcast, plus. You're on the podcast now, bitch. Um, and uh, I had a brunch on Saturday. So we got back on Wednesday night at like midnight. Then I had a work brunch on Saturday afterwards where it was two hours of drinking again and food. 12 to 2, more like 12 to 5 at the venue, and then went off to a hotel room afterwards and drank even more. It was quite cray-cray. But Vinny didn't join you for those shenanigans? No, Vinny was very um, specific that he was not attending. And then when I tried to get him to come to the hotel room afterwards with the group of girls that I was going with, he was also very specific that he was not attending. Oh, so he didn't go to the brunch either? <laughs> no, he went to nothing. <laughs> he just stayed oh, at home and judged. You just went to the brunch. I thought you both went to the brunch. No, no, just a work brunch. But that was it. So it's literally been a very um, booze-fueled couple of well, well, weeks and a bit. Has been indeed, but a lot of fun. And I totally recommend Bali to anyone. Yes, I felt very jealous when I saw all the pictures. I was like, I've put off going to Bali because um, I've been to Thailand and I had a, an amazing trip, but didn't rate it the level of cleanliness and some of those yeah. things was just a little bit hard for me. So I, I I've always compared that to how Bali would be. So yeah, well, to be fair, like, and I mean, beautiful culture, beautiful people. The streets are, you know, Bali streets. I'd say similar to Thailand, and the work mm. workplace health and safety aspects is not up to par to what we're used to. But <laughs> danger, um, danger <laughs> everywhere, big holes and just the fucking sidewalk. But Vinny, um, it's funny you say that because Vinny wasn't always keen to go to Bali because he'd been to Thailand. He liked Thailand, mm. but same as you, um, but he he appreciated Bali a lot more than yeah, he did Thailand. Yeah, right. Yeah, now I, I really want to go. I just, and especially just going for like a little mini break, you know, five or six yeah, years as yeah. well. Yeah, and that's a, I mean, Europe has Europe to go to. We finally, we've got Bali and New Zealand really. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's like people in Darwin. It's like a two and a half hour, an hour and 45 minute flight from Darwin. Wow. So they go for the long weekend and shit. Yeah, right. Yeah, but, you know, we totally have to do it. It's like when you live in the UK and you go to Amsterdam for the weekend. You just yeah, exactly. Or Ireland to Lanzarote and shit. Yeah. All right. So should we get cracking into yes. some spurious, scary shit? Let's get cracking into two crime USA plus. Please, one of my favorites. Um, so I had a tough time. So, dear listeners, we've decided that we're going to do with our three true crime episodes each season: Australia, USA, and then whatever the fuck we want. We're not going to dedicate a country for the last one. USA slash Canada, aren't we? Like we're going to, because Canada's so close and sometimes it is so close. Borders. Yeah. And I mean, like if the first killings in the USA or they come from the USA, that kind of works. But um, my next one's going to be USA as well. Because <laughs> I had such a tough time. And the next <laughs> one's a good one. You'll love the next one, but you're also going to love this. Are you ready? Yes, I am ready. I know nothing about this. Oh. You're, this okay so there is a murder in this story but also one woman's quick thinking and the way at the way that she was able to outsmart her attacker eric parnell even after watching him even after watching him shoot her cousin anna franklin in the head it's a bit of a wild ride to be honest and i one i got from my favorite true crime show at the moment your worst nightmare it's what the second one my next one's going to be from as well Thank you very much for the inspiration, Your Worst Nightmare. The show that had the episode of that kid who hid in the walls in that T um, Last American US TCU that was did, a I think. Ride too. Yeah. So, anyways, on 29 May 2005, Jennifer Holiday, a 27 year old EMT, comes home from working a double shift and is bollocksed. She lives um, with her 18 year old cousin, Anna Franklin, who was out babysitting still when Jennifer gets home. Shortly after getting home, Jennifer gets a call from her cousin asking if she could pick her up from a babysitting baby, baby job. She agrees and heads out to collect her at about 1am. I can't remember the exact time, but it's late night, early morning, that type of vibe. 
After she collects her cousin, they drive into a convenience store to get some snackies. As you do. When the pair climbed into Holiday's Ford Explorer and get back on the road, they noticed that a truck that was parked at the convenience store was now following them. Mm. The driver was named Eric Parnell. He drives closely behind the women for miles. Suddenly he speeds up alongside the car and the women just hear this huge bang. And at first Jennifer thought he had hit their car with his, like just rammed him. But her cousin knew right away what had happened. And she starts screaming, he's just shot you. He's just shot you. And it's then that Jennifer realizes that her arm's bleeding and the shot had shattered every window in their car and also shot her elbow out. So she's forced to stop the car as blood and glass is blocking her vision. And then Anna, her cousin, calls 911 on the cell phone. In the episode, you can hear the the call and her just screaming, you know, oh my God, it's just literally pandemonium. She's screaming, he shot us, he shot us. Rah, 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 where are you? This, you know, talking to the police. Um, and then you hear her just screaming, he's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back. So it was the last call she was ever to make because as she's on the phone, Parnell walks back up to the truck opens the driver's side door, points a shotgun at Franklin's head and pulls the trigger. Oh my Jennifer, Jennifer said he never said anything to her. to her. He just he just never hesitated. And you can actually hear on the 911 recording the call of Anna freaking out and then turning into sheer terror and screams as she realises he's coming back with the gun. It is also likely that her call to 911 is what begins the road to Parnell's capture and her cousin's release. So it's really lucky that she had the fucking incentive to just call 911 straight away not just going what the fuck's happened and then she's dead and then she's dead the blast hits anna in her face and because he fires the gun through the driver's side window where jennifer is sat she's driving he also gives her more wounds to the chest and neck area parnell then drags jennifer out of the car and into his vehicle as she bled profusely from more than 40 shotgun pellets wounds to her body he returned and to her, her arm too, right? She and her arm, got yeah, her, arm her elbow shot out. He then returned to um, Jennifer's Explorer as she watched the 31-year-old man attempt to move the cousin's body out of the seat. So apparently he was trying to, he was going to rape her while she was dead. And um, he was screaming all these, like apparently he was like on this real, I think maybe drug-induced, just sexually fueled rage and the shit he was saying was quite graphic. Um, while he was doing that, Holiday was in the other car and saw his shotgun that he'd left in the front seat of the truck. And she says, here I am thinking, hey, I'm fixing to get rid of the only weapon he's got. So she took the shotgun and threw it out the window and it landed on the highway. Unfortunately, though, she quickly noticed several more guns scattered around throughout the killer's truck. Shortly after, Parnell gave up trying to move fuck with the body and returned to his vehicle driving himself and jennifer away from the murder scene when eric parnell turned onto a back road off the highway jennifer holiday considered her options i remember trying to decide okay should i try to grab this gun and use it or should i i'm going to die regardless so should i at least just go for it you know what do you do as holiday thought about what to do next parnell's behavior became increasingly more erratic and violent he would hit her and then he would just rage and then just start laughing. It was all very crazy. Jesus Christ. Eventually, Parnell pulled over onto the empty back road, dragged Holiday out and sexually assaults her. At this time, police and emergency responders are at the scene of Anna's murder. The emergency responders recognise Jennifer's car and the gold star badge clipped to her sun visor and think that she's fled into the surrounding woods that she's got out and ran. So they start looking for her there. Meanwhile, back at the camp, after raping and further inflicting more wounds on Jennifer, Parnell literally starts becoming another person right before her eyes. He would start crying and start saying, oh God, what's happened to your arm? And then he would just go back to screaming and raving. This is when um, Jennifer realises that she might just be able to use his mental unstableness to her advantage. This is where she just gets pure boss bitch. While bleeding profusely from dozens of shotgun pellets in her arm, chest and neck, she formulates a plan. She began talking to Parnell in an overly affectionate manner as he drove them through sparsely populated backcountry in East Texas. She's saying to him, that was great. That was wonderful. Thank you for this good time after they'd he'd just raped her 
pretending to really enjoy what happened to him and she noticed it started working on him. When he talks about her wounds, she then fabricates this fake story about a different man that had shot her. She's like, you just picked me up and we're, you were going to take me to your house, remember? Because there was no houses around. So she knew that she was fucked she, if she got away or even if he dumped her somewhere, she wasn't going to be able to find anyone. Smart. And he just looked at her and, and it was like crazy. And he said, well, no. And I was like, and Jennifer was like, yeah, thank you so much. You didn't see that guy, John, that just shot me? That man that just shot me and was going to leave me out here on the highway. Thank God you came along and saved me. Thank you so much. You know, you're a hero. Through her persistence, Eric Parnell begins to actually believe her story, that he had actually saved her from another man and he had nothing to do with the injuries or Anna's death. And I don't know if that's what he actually started thinking or he just thought maybe she doesn't know exactly what happened and he could make this work out mm. for him where he's mm. not going to be in trouble. She just keeps thanking him and thanking him and then is like, aren't you going to at least let me use your phone because I'm losing a lot of blood here. And he kept saying, I know you're bleeding everywhere. Um, so can we just reflect on how fucking clicked on this bitch is when she's oh just seen God. her cousin get shot to death in the face, blood everywhere. She's just been raped and she's still got a it's sense of mind it. about it to not yeah. freak out or do anything to <clears> try <throat> and gain control. Anyhow, and she must be terrified too, not knowing if it's actually going to work, if it's working, but just hoping to God it's going to work or if he's playing with her or what. So while manipulating her attacker, she fashioned a tourniquet with one of his shirts because all of her clothes were gone by this stage to try and help stop the bleeding from her arm. But she knew that from the blood loss, she'd die if she didn't get medical help. Parnell initially rejected Holiday's idea of calling 911 from his home, citing the multiple warrants he had out for his arrest, because less than a year before killing Anna and kidnapping Jennifer, Parnell was charged with domestic violence assaults and making terroristic threats. Holiday kept pushing, adding more details about a fake man named John who had shot her and insisted that Parnell was the hero and that he needed to let her get medical help. Eventually, he agrees to take her to his house to call 911, but not before threatening her life. He told her that should she stop acting bad, that he told her that she should stop acting bad, otherwise she'd end up like the other people I um, have ended up, and that he won't be responsible for what happens. When they arrive at the home, Holiday first noticed a small cemetery located in the front of the isolated property. Wow. She was terrified. I know how creepy is that. You're just it like, where the like, fuck um... am I going? <laughs> It reminds me of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. Have you seen there's a new one of them coming to Netflix, yes. The Beginning? Yes, I've seen it. And it's the same based on one of the characters 30 years later or something. Oh, God. Texas Chainsaw Massacre is my, oh, sends me up the wall. Have you ever, it. never watched it? It's too graphic for me. Same with Saw. I'll never watch Saw, ever. Saw's too hectic. Texas Chainsaw Massacre just terrifies me. So anyway, she's also terrified, but still managed to keep the bruise going. She walked into his empty house, found his phone and called 911. Okay, you ready? The operator answers. Jennifer, somebody shot me and this man here helped me on the side of the road. The operator goes, someone shot you? She's like, uh-huh. And my arm is in half right now. And this man, this man right here, right here in front of me, he helped me out. And then you hear the muffled male voice of Parnell as he speaks to Jennifer. And the operator goes, okay, and where are you, ma'am? And she's like, please hurry. She's like, okay, are you from this area, ma'am? She's like, nah, -uh, no. And the operator's then like, okay, let me speak to the gentleman that's helping you, okay? And she's like, uh-uh. And so the operator's speaking to the police officer on the other end. She's like, I've got another gunshot wound. So this operator was involved with the first... Oh my phone gosh. call that Anna had called and they've gone out there now. They can't find Jennifer. They've got the gunshot victim. So she's saying to her colleague, two and two together. I've got another gunshot wound. And so the operator's able to fucking click on now with what's happening. And so when she, when Jennifer hears her say, I've got another gunshot wound. And when Jennifer hears the operator say, I've got another gunshot wound, Jennifer goes, same one, same one, same one, same one. And she's like, you're the same. She's like, uh-huh, uh-huh, please hurry. By the time that um, Holiday had called 911, Lufkin police had already found her abandoned car and Anna's body, as we know, and now police knew the killer had abducted the other car's passenger and taken her to his home. 
So now the operator's on board. She knows what's happening. She remains on the phone with 911 operator Stephanie Davidson. God bless you, Stephanie Davidson, as they waited for paramedics. Parnell made her tell the operator that only one ambulance could come to his house. No police officers or other law enforcement were allowed. Holiday reassured him that no, it was no problem at all, saying they're going to be so happy that you've saved my life. You're going to be the hero of the day. They're just so excited to meet you, Rara. However, due to the massive amount of blood loss Holiday experienced, she became lightheaded and faint. When the operator asked Holiday for help in finding her attacker's home, she struggled in how to describe it. So she convinces Parnell to get on the phone and now start actually speaking with the 911 dispatcher oh to provide gosh. exact directions to his house. And he does. So the 911 call continues, the operator. Do you think paramedics can find it if it's a long driveway? And Parnell's like, I don't know if they can or not. That's why I want to walk to the end of the road. I don't know. It's right before the cemetery. And then the operator's, okay, then they should be able to find it. It's kind of a ways out there and it takes them a few minutes to get there is all. How is she doing? Is she getting fate or anything? I know she says she's lost a lot of blood. And then Parnell says, she acts completely okay, but I know she's scared out of her wits. So am I because I'm the one that picked her up and I'm scared to death because I got blood from head to toe. Operator saying, well, you're doing a great job, okay? The ambulance is not far from you, all right? Wow, good I know. thinking. <laughs> so while, I keep getting goosebumps. Really. So while they continued waiting, Eric Parnell appeared to genuinely believe that he had not shot Jennifer or Anna and had fully brought her into it and fully bore into her alternate universe story that made him the hero. He kept asking her, where'd your friend go? And she would tell him, oh, she's at the car, remember? She didn't want to come. You were just going to bring me, remember? Nearly one hour after Holiday had called 911, an hour, it took him to get to the um, rural isolated property. Could you imagine how fucking you'd just be like, come on, come on, come on, come on. However, they don't approach the home. Over the phone, the operator tells Jennifer to walk out of the house and head towards the ambulance. So she starts walking outside and he's right behind her and she's woozy as fuck. And as she's walking up the hill, she starts thinking that she's seeing the trees are all dancing and moving around. Um, Fucking oath. I know, but it wasn't the trees. It was the SWAT team moving through the woods towards Parnell. Stop. Yeah. So she thought she was seeing the trees, but it was the figures of the SWAT team. And they swoop in and get the fucker and take him into custody. Less than one day after the horrific attack, Eric Parnell was charged with first-degree murder, aggravated sexual assault, and kidnapping. During the jury selection process in December he pl- of 2005, he pleaded guilty to all charges and was sentenced to life in prison. Jennifer Holliday survived the brutal attack, but she faced an onslaught of expensive surgeries and hefty medical bills afterwards. As a direct result of the shooting, she lost her job as an EMT, and lost her health insurance. Oh, my God. Can you believe that? It's so fucked, isn't it? With no public insurance option available at the time, Holiday went into massive debt and could no longer afford surgeries she desperately needed. In September 2007, just over two years after the attack, she does receive some good news. After learning about her story, the CEO of Memorial Hermann Hospital covered all of her medical bills for a critical surgery she couldn't afford. This operation restored movement to her elbow. Before the surgery, she could not perform simple tasks such as tying shoes and opening containers. She says, my sole goal in life is to get back somewhat as I was before. I know mentally and physically I'll never be able to go back to the job I used to have and I'll be able to do something, I'm sure. Her survival story is one of perseverance, quick thinking and refusal to give up against surviving against all odds. So um, what was his motive? He was just... Was it mental health? He was just like, I think he was drug-fueled. I think it was drug-fueled. He was drunk. He was high. He was just in a rage of, yeah, craze. And, I mean, there's the history of him there where he's beating up through domestic violence and terroristic threats. So, yeah, mm. so there's mental health issues as That's, well. It's a bit of a jump, though, to go from domestic violence to then shooting someone point blank in the face yeah. and, you know, grabbing people off the side of the road. That's, like, next well, level. In the episode that we watched, it shows a little bit of him at the beginning sort of walking around town, and I think he may have tried to hit onto a few girls. It's not corroborated, 
but they sort of had that as a so maybe he was going around town getting knocked back just kept getting drunker drunker and higher and decided he was just going to take what he obviously hates get. women yeah oh my completely god that's crazy how oh, cool a story though girl i know babysitting Losing a cousin I know the one who was just out babysitting, and if they didn't go and get snacks at that time in the morning, yeah, so many of those what if, what ifs. Wow, that is full on. Would you think of the chick and a quick witty? Oh, thinking, I, I just, I think that's really admirable. Like, yeah. you know, you'd like to think that if you were in that situation, that you'd, you'd be do able the to same. do something like that. I think when you hear um, stories of people doing that as well, it makes you think that if you were in a situation like that, you'd think back to that mm. and think, okay, how can I? I think sometimes as well, like your your survival instinct kicks in in terms of, you know, the fact if she, if he hadn't killed her cousin point blank and just shot her in the face, yeah. she would have maybe been deluding herself that she would come out the other end. But because she saw how ruthless he was, she, she was she like, there's to. no way he's going to let me survive. Like I've got nothing to lose. I'm dead no matter what way I look at it. Yeah, He's exactly. going to kill me and it's probably going to be much more painful. And, you know, he's probably going to rape me multiple more yeah. times. What have Before I got he to does lose? kill me, I have to try something. I have to try yeah. anything. And I'd say her experience in working as an EMT as well, yeah, would that probably would have, kicked that would have, into she would have dealt dealing with a lot with, of stuff. Exactly, dealing with patients that were probably aggressive and had to Isn't talk to them. Isn't that crazy that we're both doing 911 stories? <laughs> we didn't even, <laughs> listeners, please, I swear to God, we had no idea what each other's was doing Yeah, tonight. and how, how cool was the fucking 911 operator? Yeah. Because you've seen so many reels where you hear them and that some of them talking to children and being really aggressive with children mm. who were trying to get help. And this bitch was just onto it mm. straight up. Love that. Well, that's a bit of my story, really. Oh, well, yes. here we go. Yes, yes. Well, at least we got a positive and a negative. Yes, yes, we do. Um, mine's maybe I should have went first because mine's not going <laughs> to end Give us hope. in a positive light. Um, so just let me. Okay. So are you ready for this one? I am. This is the abduction of Denise Amber Lee. Uh, Denise Amber Lee was a 21-year-old mother of two boys and she was abducted in the afternoon of January 17th, 2008, shortly before her husband arrived home from work. Her young boys, Noah and Adam, were just two years and six months old. So the and oldest old was one she? was two. She was 21. Oh, God. Her eldest was two and her youngest was six months old. Yeah. Denise met her husband, Nathan, as a teenager. She was 17 and he was 18. They married shortly after and started a family. Nathan, the husband, worked three jobs so that Denise could stay at home caring for their Holy boys. Holy shit. He sounds the, like a nice guy. I know. Okay. So on the morning of the 17th of January, Nathan left for work early. Denise and the boys were still in bed asleep. He called around lunchtime and Denise told him that she was cutting their eldest son Noah's hair on the back porch. They talked about whether she should open the windows in the home and agreed she would as it was stuffy inside and to let some fresh air in. Later, when Nathan was on his way home from work, he called his wife again but received no answer. Arriving at 3.30pm, he found Denise not there and his two small sons were alone in the house together, confined to a crib, which was unusual. Mm. Even stranger, the house had been locked when he arrived and Nathan had no idea where his wife could be. His children were too little to explain what had happened. None of her belongings were missing. There was no forced entry or signs of a struggle. And the windows that she had discussed opening were all tightly closed and locked. Oh, okay, because I thought that, that was the entry point, obviously. He began to lose it and immediately called the police. I think she locked everything up because she knew she was having to leave the boys behind and she wanted to make, make sure, sure that okay. they were yeah. protected at least. He began to lose it and immediately called the police. The police came searching the home, the family home, but there were no clues until a neighbour approached telling them that she had seen a green Camaro driving up and down the street at approximately 2.30pm. A man drove up and down the road in the Camaro several times before pulling into Denise's driveway and remaining in the driver's seat. She looked over about 10 minutes later and the car and the man were gone. There was no sign of Denise. Denise's father was also a local detective. He was the next person Nathan placed a call to after alerting the police. 
and he contacted the state and county law enforcement to aid in the search for his daughter. Jesus. At 6.14pm on the same day, the police got a break in the case. The Sarasota County Sheriff's Office received a 911 call. The caller did not initially identify herself, but it was a female voice and the caller was not speaking directly to the operator. Instead, it sounded like she was talking to a right. man. Right, so she's secretly dialed. What year was this, sorry? This was 2008, January So mobile phones were definitely around. She pleaded repeatedly with the man to release her and take her home to her family. She managed to provide distinct information about her name and that she had been kidnapped and was in danger by repeating things over and over as a question or a statement. She pleaded with him to make an upcoming turn on a street, indicating it would lead back to a different street, which was where she lived. So she was saying things like, She was giving them all the information they needed. Yeah, she's like, I'm so sorry, please, Um, you know, you have to let me go. My name's Denise Lee Amber. I'm a mum of two. I'm married. You have to, my husband will be worried about me. You know, I'm Denise Lee. Please, you have to let me go. Um, then she was saying, you know, if you turn here, if you turn left on this street and you take that the next street and then you turn the next corner, you'll end up back at my home. And she was saying all this over yeah. the phone. So um, we'll go oh into a God, little I'm bit more detail angry. later. But she was, she managed to get a phone um, that was his because he exited the, the car for a period of time. The call was eventually terminated, but the caller had identified herself. The dispatcher was left with certainty that she had been speaking with Denise Lee, that she was not far from her home address, that she had been abducted by a man, and that she was traveling in a car and that she was in danger. Well, brainwave no shit Sherlock she told you all that exactly the telephone number from which the 911 call was made was traced and identified as belonging to a 36 year old unemployed plumber called Michael King police now believe that Michael King was holding Denise against her will police went to Michael's residence in Northport in Florida but Michael wasn't there Denise wasn't there either how long after this was she did they turn up after she'd been kidnapped sorry so she, the husband got home at 3.30. Yeah. Um, the neighbour saw someone driving around the street at 2.30, 2.30. in the Green Camaro. Um, and at 6.17, she made the call right. to 911. At 6.23 p.m., a 17-year-old girl, Sabrina Muxo, called 911. Sabrina told the operators that her father saw a girl tied up and that she came out of the car and my dad's cousin went and put her back in the car when she got out. She told them that the car the girl was in was a green Camaro. Oh, my God. Sabrina called 911 because her father, Harold Muxlow, told her about an incident that happened at his house between 5.30 p.m. and 6 p.m. that day. His cousin, Michael King, arrived at the house. Harold was not expecting him. Michael asked Harold for a flashlight, a gas can and a shovel. He told him that he needed it for his lawnmower as it was stuck in his front yard. Harold gave the items that Michael were looking for to him, but as Harold walked back to the wards of the house, he heard a woman shout, call the cops. Harold walked back down the driveway to Michael. He asked Michael what was going on. Michael said, nothing to worry about. Harold walked away but looked back once more and saw Michael crawling over the console in the Camaro and pushing the head of a person with shoulder-length hair down in the back seat. He saw the person's knee rise up. Michael climbed into the driver's seat and drove away. Harold then drove to Michael's house to see if the lawnmower was actually in the front yard. It wasn't and Michael was not there. He placed an anonymous 911 phone call in which he provided a description of Michael's vehicle. He told them that there may be a person inside the car being held against their will. Harold told his daughter, Sabrina, what happened, and she immediately called 911. So at this point, we've got four 911 calls, if you include the husband's 911 call. Yeah. Um, From the victim, the the husband, two witnesses. Two witnesses, yeah. A few minutes after Sabrina's 911 call, another call was made to 911. At 6.30 p.m. that evening, Jane Kowalski called 911. Jane was stopped at a traffic light on Highway 41 when she heard someone screaming. She described the scream as, it was a very high-pitched scream and it was unlike any type of scream I've ever heard in my life. 
Jane was on the phone to her sister at the time and the screaming and loud noises were so loud that her sister heard them on the other end of the phone. Oh, my God. Jane thought it was a child screaming at first. The noise was coming from the car next to her. Jane looked across and made eye contact with a man. He was pushing something down in the back seat of his car. Jane said that after he pushed something down, a hand came up from the back seat and started slapping very loudly on the window. When the traffic oh, light turned green, Jane didn't drive fast. She hoped the car would drive forward so that she could see the license plate number, but he wouldn't drive forward. So he, she began moving slowly and the man changed traffic lanes and pulled behind her. Jane called 911. She told them about the noises and the screams she heard coming from the Camaro. Jane told the operator that she could see the driver of the Camaro changing lanes and making a left turn on Toledo Blade Boulevard heading towards Interstate 75. Jane could not follow him due to the traffic. When Jane made the call, there were, deputies, there were deputies in the area. There were police on foot, in patrol cars and a helicopter, but they never received the details of Jane's 911 call and the detailed account she provided in real time of where the Camaro was headed towards. Why the Charlotte not? County dispatchers failed to provide the information to them. Later that night at 9pm, Deputy Christian Weimar and State Trooper Edward Pope were posted at Toledo Blade Boulevard near Interstate 75. So this is where Jane told them she saw the car turn yeah. onto Toledo Blade Boulevard. They were looking out for the Camaro. They had a description of the car and the license plate number. At around 9.10 p.m., the Camaro drove from the Toledo Blade Boulevard onto the on-ramp for I-75 southbound. They followed the car and forced it to pull over. The police ordered the driver to exit the vehicle multiple times. The driver only exited when they threatened to shoot. He exited from the front door backwards. It was Michael. Michael was wet from the waist down and there was mud on his shoes. Police searched the car. They found a phone. The battery and SIM card had been removed. They also found a gas can in the car, a shovel with dirt on it, and a ring on the back seat. But Denise was not in the car. Michael was charged with kidnapping, but he refused to give any information about Denise or where she was to the police. He denied being involved. Police continued to search for Denise. Two days later, after Michael's arrest, a member of the search party saw an area of land near Plantation Boulevard in Northport where the earth appeared to be disturbed. At a depth of three feet, one inch, they found the naked body of Denise oh Lee. Oh, God. And what she time was lying. This is, that, this is still that night. Two days later. Two days later. Yeah, so they pulled him over that night. They got him at 9 o'clock, 9 p.m., 9.17, oh, I think it was. they found the body two days later. But they found the body two days. And he never gave up, like, any information about it. Fucking scumbag. She was lying on her side in the fetal position. Denise had been shot dead less than three miles away from where Jane made the last 911 call. The medical examiner determined that Denise died from a single gunshot wound to the head. The wound was consistent with the gun having been placed against Denise's head at the time it was fired in the front part of the So she saw she, it all coming and everything. She faced it. The entrance wound was to the right of Denise's right eyebrow. The medical examiner believed that when the gun was discharged, Denise's eye exploded. There was aspirated blood in her lungs, which indicated that Denise continued to breathe for a period of time after the wound was inflicted. But she didn't die instantly. There were bruises on her wrists. The bruises were in the same location on each wrist and the medical examiner concluded that may have been caused by ligatures and were consistent yeah. with defensive injuries. The medical examiner noted that Denise had vaginal bruising and anal tearing, both of which were caused by insertion trauma. Denise was raped before she was shot dead. Michael was charged with first-degree murder. Michael pleaded not guilty. What a time fuck. How old was he, did you say? I think he was 31. Yeah, I think you said 31, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they identified 36. 36, yeah. I think my guy was 31, actually, yeah. Mm. Um, the prosecution had a strong case. They had multiple witnesses who saw Michael that day from the neighbour. 
who saw and him multiple fucking nine one one recordings. To Jane and other drivers who saw him driving and trying to push something down on the back seat. His cousin Harold also testified on behalf of the prosecution. Good. I'm glad uh, they didn't try and protect him and his family or anything. I know, right? Apart from the eyewitnesses and 911 calls, police also had DNA evidence. Denise sometimes wore Nathan's boxer shorts and she was wearing a pair that day, the 17th of January. The boxer shorts were found a couple of hundred yards away from where Denise's body was found. They tested positive for sperm cells and the cells matched the DNA profile of Michael. Denise also left evidence too. In the Camaro, police found her ring and strands of her hair. She pushed her ring in between the seats. Clever girl. So that it would stay there. So in hope that they would find it and know that someone wouldn't have just put it there for yeah. any reason. It was Especially forcibly placed. Yeah. They believe she wanted Samet to leave some evidence behind. Her palm print was also found on the inside of the driver's mm, side window. Bang, bang. Yeah. A search of Michael's house provided further evidence. Duct tape was found with Denise's hair attached to it. The defence case focused on the fatal shot that killed Denise. They questioned who fired the fatal shot and said that it wasn't Michael. No murder weapon was found. But it took the jury just two hours to deliberate. They unanimously found Michael guilty of first-degree murder, involuntary sexual battery and kidnapping. Michael was sentenced to death. Bye, bitch. He appealed the sentence, but it was upheld. He's still alive, though. He hasn't. Um, it know, takes a long time for him to get executed. Yet, yeah. Yeah. So Nathan Lee, the husband, started a foundation, the Denise Amber Lee Foundation, after her murder to promote better well, Nathan, training around nine one one calls and to create public awareness. And it was like an hour. Like there was an hour by about him an hour, and he'd spoken to her that day on the phone, and Three the boys were there when he took yeah. her. So was it all just completely random? Yeah, um, there was a bunch of people that witnessed it, though, in the end, um, but none of them called it in because they just thought it was domestic violence dispute and didn't want to get involved. Mm, the 2008 hardened the fuck up people. Yeah. Um, so Nathan went on to Dr. Phil DeSherry's story. Denise's father helped to get the Denise Amber Lee Act signed into law. It was passed unanimously by the Florida legislation. The act, and I... You'll, you'll hate this bit. The Act provides for voluntary training for 911 operatives. Despite Denise's bravery and her ferocious fight to save her life, yes. she was let down by the 911 operators that day. And it's voluntary. It should be fucking just part That's of their I training see. already. So they, they fought and fought and fought to get this passed just to enforce voluntary training mm. so they've got access to voluntary training. Yeah. There's no enforced training. There's no... Like, you know, regular I, training about like circumstance and thinking on your feet and problem solving yeah. or anything like that. They're just regular people off the street, I think. And I get that they would deal with a lot of pranks. So deal with a lot of mm. hoax. So deal with a lot of shit. But unfortunately, they have to treat every fucking call as if it's going to be serious. Absolutely. And what's the point in doing that job if you honestly don't care about helping people? Like, yeah. The shit that you'd hear and, and you know, witness would be would It's be not horrific. just a paycheck. It's a fucking life-saving fucking That's it. avenue. So the motorists like Jane tried to help, but others who heard the scream said they did not call 911 as they did not want to get involved in case it was a domestic dispute. Even if it was a domestic dispute, someone's getting pushed down and screaming from the back seat of a fucking exactly. car. Exactly. Help them. Help them. Yeah. Um, and well, also they all have it. to live with that on their conscience now, knowing exactly. exactly what had happened. And they played all the nine one one calls in his hearing, like all the you know everything, and they got to hear. And then they it took them two hours to go. Yep, he's fucking guilty. Um, and I researched a little bit into the nine one one operators who took that call from Denise. Uh, sorry, from Jane, the one that could have found her in time. Um, and apparently they didn't get sacked. Um, they were put on like unpaid leave for a period of time but the and asked the, to attend the voluntary thing if they wanted to the head of the of you know whatever the institution was he decided not to fire them in the end because um it was a really busy period and the reason it didn't get logged correctly is because it was a changeover of people starting their shift finishing a long shift and it just got missed 
and therefore he said you couldn't really blame them because it was busy and oh, yada, yada, yada. I'm just trying to look her up now. I know. Imagine. Oh, like, there's a documentary. Making that call and getting hold of 911 and thinking someone's coming to get me, like I'm going to be okay yeah, because yeah. I've gotten hold of them. I've given them all this information. I've told them pretty much where I am. Screaming um, for your life as well, not just laying them my name. Waiting. I've told yeah. them where I live. Where I've told you them, you know, that I think she even said at one point, my husband name is Nathan Lee. Like she identified people that she was a mum, where her house was, that she wasn't far from her house. Um, and, you know, they still couldn't find her in time. And if they had, you know, looked into Jane's call, they might have, you know, got there got in, in time. I'm just searching now because I've just searched it. There is a special, so it's mm. the night that didn't end. But brutal, hey. It's fucking horrendous. There's heaps of um YouTube videos about her. I'm totally yeah. watching her. Yeah, and you see the photos. It's oh, just this beautiful, young, tiny, you know, yeah, little with the girl. Two kids. She's so young. She's got these two babies. Imagine, like, what would have happened in that house and they, those babies were there and she was being wrestled and she he probably threatened the oh. children and that's how he got her to leave without too much of a fuss. Have you seen him? Yeah, I've seen a couple of photos. Of but the like, killer? Yeah, it's not like um, the photos that were on Wikipedia. Oh, I've just done it in Google. He looks like that. Is it Guy Fiera? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit like blonde hair. But even the cousin, like, you know, the cousin could have done more too, right? He could have gone down there and been like, what the fuck's going on, man? Yeah. But there's not much to say about, you know, his motive and because he, he, he pleaded not guilty. He said he didn't do it. And he's probably also, like, the cousin's probably also thinking, what the fuck? Like, I mean, if your cousin... It's come around and something like that happened. You'd be like, huh? Mm. What is actually going on? Like your mind would be a bit blown. Yeah. And I mean, he did he knew drive to the, the house. Fact, yeah. He like got his to daughter to call as well. And like, and then. And he also went to the house to see. And. But it was too little, too late. Um, He also claimed, I actually forgot to put this in because I'd read so many different articles. I've read so many different. And you know, when you come to pull all the research together, mm-hmm. you're like trying to compare different bits that Piece you get from it all different in. things. Yeah. But I do remember one other thing that he actually claimed his defense was that he was also abducted um, and they were both abducted together. And he was also kidnapped um, at the same time. And that's why, you know. His oh, they were present. abducted together. What yeah. a dumb fuck. Yeah. What a like, scumbag. I'm glad yeah, he's... Well, why is your semen there, bro? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, they made me root her. Yeah, why have you got duct tape with her hair on it in your house? And it's terrible luck because, you know, obviously the death penalty is never a... Oh, I loved that, though. That made me really happy because I hate when they see, oh, life imprisonment. Oh, fucking... They can yeah. appeal that shit, like. But you want that life imprisonment to be just absolutely fucking hell for them as well. Yeah, and totally. you'd hope that it would be. But the execution would be pretty insane. Do you know what I mean? Like sitting there, while you know that you're going to die, and all these clinical people come in, and you know, fucking. Yeah, yeah, it's not meant to be um, painless either. No, no, no. And then people are watching you chew through that glass, yeah. watching it all happen, and you have to look at those faces, like. That would be horrific. Like, I don't think I could ever go through that. If it was a relative of mine or someone yeah. I cared about, I would fucking be there. I'd have my head totally fogging your breath up like, against fucking it. Fucking dog. Tap, tap, tap. Yeah. I'm here, bitch. Let me actually do it. I want to give the injection. Let me cut off his leg first. Yeah. Piece by piece, slowly. Yeah. yeah. Then you oh. can give him the injection. What is going And she looks beautiful too the thing i know it's so fucking sad man and imagine the poor husband having to live with that knowing that she she called and people tried to help her and yeah you know you'd be so angry at the system wouldn't you you would you'd be so angry at the world yeah and hopefully he's just channeling love into the kids lives yeah, but once again, listeners, we did not plan for the nine one one for the nine one ones to come to get one one ones to one that together. was fucking amazing and fucking picked up on everything and knew what to do, and the others that just dropped the ball completely. But they did drop the ball. Yeah, 
It was, was so like, sad. You know, piece by piece, you know, there was just and it wasn't so much just... more. Everyone could have done a little bit more and saved her, yeah. but they didn't. Like you know, and she lost her life because. And it was real time fucking shit they were getting too, and yeah. not just one nine one one call that they fucked up on. Mm. A few, multiple nine one one calls, and her dad being a detective in the system. Like, you know, working with the authorities yeah. and being like, you guys have fucking let, let me down. Like, yeah, my daughter's yeah, yeah. died and wonder, you did nothing to save her. I wonder how he is, if he's still a mm. detective or... Well, he campaigned as well. Him and the husband did it together to try to get that bill passed so that they would have that, you know, voluntary training. Bless. Voluntary. I know. I know. Fucking must be done. It's brutal. <sighs> well... Thanks for listening. We hope you're all right after that because I'm not so sure I am. Me too. It's pretty sad. <laughs> we should have started with mine and your upbeat one at the end where she survives. <laughs> yeah, I know. True. <laughs> and the 911 call here was a hero. It was a hero. Yeah. It's like total yeah. opposite sides of the coin, isn't it? Yeah. So tune in next week for Pop Culture and the topic Walt Disney, please. We'll discuss. Oh. Hi, Luna. <laughs> oh my God, is that your Mickey Mouse impression? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> we'll discuss the man behind the mouse and his other creations, as well as some controversies surrounding the Disney brand. And remember, if you like what you hear, tell your mates and anyone who will listen. Anyone. Anyone, bitches. But as always, if you're whining, you're winning. Good night, you stupid bitches. Good night. That wasn't too bad. That was probably the yeah. yeah, that stupid bitch. Mm-hmm. He's a stupid bitch. What a stupid bitch. That stupid bitch.